Hey, my name is Brian Golden. I'm the lead pastor of Centerpoint Church. And I just want to personally thank you for listening to our podcast. And I also want to invite you wherever you are around the country or in the Tampa Bay area to join our digital online campus at centerpointfl.org. And here's what you need to know. Our vision is to create an alternative to church as usual for all people. And all that means is, regardless of whether you've been a longtime follower of Jesus, you're new to faith, you're investigating faith, or you don't even know what you believe, our goal is for you to feel like you belong, even if you never believe. And so thank you again for listening, and I hope today's message encourages you and helps you. Is that for the video or for me? Because if it's for me, we're going to... Nobody does that at home. Yeah. You know, that always happens. I tell our home church, I'm like, you know, when I go to places, people cheer sometimes. And they're like, well, well we know you. So that, you know. <laughs> I, I was backstage. Um, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm Gavin, by the way. I'm so, I'm so excited to be here. Hey, and before... No, don't do that. And then and before... Um, before... I want to be able to fit my head through the door on the way out. So um, but before I start, I just want to tell you, you... You might know this, you might know this, but odds are you don't because you know the things that we do become normative to us. You have an unbelievable church and an incredible staff and Bryant is such a wonderful pastor and you might not recognize that because you've become so used to it. It's called the law of diminishing astonishment. You should be astonished by this place and you should be astonished by Bryant. And um, yeah, that's who you should cheer for and, and, and Jesus as well. So um, Hey, and I think, did he say backstage, I was, uh, I was back there, did he say I was a Falcons fan? Did he tell you that? Yeah. Um, you know, I gotta be honest, I grew up, I was born and raised in Atlanta. Not a lot of people who have done that. Um, Atlanta is like a very transient, transplant place, right? I mean, people escape the snow, come to Atlanta. So uh, I grew up in Atlanta. I, I grew up a Falcons fan. Uh, I, I'm a huge Falcons fan, which is really disappointing. I, it's a very difficult thing to do. <laughs> But I'm a big Falcons fan. But I, I've always been a Tampa fan. And I'll tell you why. I've always been a Tampa fan. Because no matter how bad things were in Atlanta, we weren't Tampa. Like, like I'm like, no matter how bad things are, we didn't go over, you know? No matter how bad things are, we don't look like creamsicles, you know? Like, no matter how bad we are, you know? And I was thinking, as I was thinking on the way down here, I was like, I'm going to Tampa, that'd be fun. And I was like, oh man, you know what? Tampa's won two Super Bowls now. Um, and Atlanta lost in the most glorious fashion in the history of Super Bowls. They've never recovered. They, they have not been to therapy. It's very obvious. They have, they have never recovered from that. So um, here's the last thing about this. Um, the good news is that we have something in common. We both hate the Saints. So there, there is that, right? So um, the whole state of Louisiana, right? Saints, the whole deal. So... All right, that's not why I'm here. Um, can we talk about why I'm here? Um, uh, when, when Brian and I were talking, I love this series that you're doing, Take Back Your Life. What an incredible thing to think about. We're gonna talk about that today. We're gonna conclude the series today. We're gonna talk about something that's actually kind of difficult. Um, to get us started, I need to tell you a story about high school for me. I don't know how your high school experiences were. I mean, for everybody, middle school is terrible. High school gets a little better for some, gets worse for others. I mean, high school can be kind of fun, um, can be also kind of difficult. For me, it was a little bit of both. Um, you, you probably would never guess this, but basketball was my favorite favorite sport growing up. Uh, I played a lot of sports as a kid. You know, I grew up in the day where you kind of played sport to sport to sport. Each season had its own sport. You just kept playing a ball. You know, now we pay $18 million to play baseball all year. But when I was a kid, we didn't do that. You know, we just played each sport each season. So as I got a little older, though, my parents did say, hey, we should probably focus in. 
choose a sport, kind of go with one. And so, you know, I chose basketball, which makes perfect sense because of my height and my athletic ability. So <laughs> I was way better at tennis and baseball, but I chose basketball because it was the cool sport, honestly. I mean, when I was a kid, I was actually really good at tennis. My mom and dad said, you should focus on tennis. And I was like, have you seen the shorts they wear? I'm playing tennis, you know? So I chose basketball, which, you know, that's why I'm a pastor now. So but I loved it. I mean, I eat, breathe, drink, slept basketball. I mean, I could not get enough basketball. And so when I was in ninth grade, I tried out for the JV basketball team. Now, I don't know if you've ever been through sports tryouts in high school. They are intense. They're intense. So in ninth grade, I'm trying out, and I'm at a high school that's a pretty legit basketball school, like state championship kind of basketball school. And so, you know, I'm, I'm just hopeful, right? I'm praying every night. I don't know if God cares about basketball or not, but I'm hoping he does, and I want to make the team. And sure enough, in ninth grade, I made the JV basketball team with this school. Now, I didn't play any. I mean, my specialty was going in at the very end of the game to chase people around and foul them to stop the clock, Right. <laughs> If you're a basketball person, you know how this works. In fact, one time I got thrown out of a game one time because I was chasing this guy and I tripped over my own feet, elbowed him in the back. He went sprawling on the ground, slid about 30 feet, and they thought I did it on purpose. So they threw me out of the game. That was my claim to fame in ninth grade. So I didn't play much, but I was on the team. Now, in 10th grade, we moved schools. The summer after 9th grade, we, we changed schools. And so I, I went to this brand new school. I walked in. Uh, it was very different than the previous 9th grade school. Um, the 9th grade school was a basketball school. Um, the 10th the, the grade school, I don't know how to say this, was a, um, they were like a chess school. They, 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 they were a golf school, you know? So I'm walking around and I'm like, well, this is going to be fun. Like I may start on the varsity team at this school, you know? I mean, I was on the team at the basketball school. These guys, I mean, they even have basketballs at this school, you know? So tryouts come around. I'm in 10th grade. I'm pretty excited. I've uh, just recently started dating a girl uh, who became my wife, by the way. So I'm trying to impress her, you know, I'm trying to impress her. I want to wear the uniform, have the warm up, have the whole deal, you know? So I try out. Sign up, really excited. First night we get there, again, if you've ever done basketball tryouts, you know how this works. You don't see a basketball for multiple days. All we do is run. So the first night we ran suicides, right? And they call it that, you know, for good reason. I mean, it really does make you want to quit. And so we would run and run and run. And Coach Flynn would always say, we're going to run until somebody throws up, you know? So I'm looking around and there's this really huge guy. And I'm like, that guy's going to vomit quick, right? So we can be done. But he never did. So we would run for hours, it felt like. We did that for multiple nights, right? Eventually, some kids quit. It's kind of weeding people out, I think, is what we were doing. The basketballs come out later, probably by night four. And then we get to actually start playing. And actually, it was going awesome. It was great. Um, the, that, that night, we had a three-point contest. And there was this guy who was a senior at our school who was a really, really good shooter. So he and I started shooting three-pointers. Everybody else is out watching. And we're going back and forth, back and forth. We made 12 in a row, back and forth. And then I missed my, my 13th and he made his. And everybody started cheering for him. And, and I was thinking, yeah, but I mean, I didn't win, but I mean, he's the best shooter in the whole school. And I came in second and I made 12 in a row. Certainly Coach Flynn saw that. Like certainly he saw that. And he did. The next morning we walked in and they had made some cuts and my name was still on the list. I was pretty excited. Show up Monday, we continued tryouts. And, and it was an even better night. I mean, things had gone so well. I mean, I'm thinking at this point, I'm not going to just make this team. I'm probably going to start on this team. The high school coach may even be paying attention at this point, the varsity guy. Like, it's probably going to go that well. 
So I, I, I walk in after another couple of days of tryouts. I mean, it's a really long process. My name's on the list, pretty excited. Go back the next night and the coach says, hey, I know I told you that we were done making cuts, but we had some football players. They were in the you know, playoff games and they're just coming back. And, and so now they're gonna try out. There's a couple of guys that play basketball too. So I gotta let them try out too. So we're just gonna make one more cut. And I remember feeling like, you know how you feel that pressure and you think, oh man, I've made it so far, you know? Like I, I, if I was gonna get cut, like I should've just thrown up and quit the first night, but I didn't. And, and now it's the last night, but I'm pretty excited and, and I'm pretty confident. Not arrogant, but, but just confident. Now, of course, you know how this is gonna go, right? Like that last night was the worst night of my basketball career. Do you, do you have memories in your past that are like burned into your brain? <laughs> like, like you could take somebody back to the very place at Fayette County Middle School's gym where we were using for tryouts, the exact spot on the hardwood where you dribbled the ball off of your foot and it hit your coach in the face. Do you remember? But there was a moment in that last night of tryouts where I threw a pass. I thought it was a really good, like, no-look pass, and it hit another guy in the face. And the coach said it was my fault. And I was like, well, he should have been watching, you know. I, I came down on a layup and just missed it. I hadn't done that since I was five. And I just missed the layup, you know. Like, it could not have been a worse night. The next morning, I show up early to school. I'm so nervous. I go to the coach's door, and I look at the door, and my name's not on the list. And, and I knock on the door because I see Coach Flynn sitting in there. And I open and he's like, you know, come in. I walk in. He goes, hey, Gavin, I'm, you know, hey, good to see you. He goes, hey, man, I really appreciate your effort. You did a great job. Man, the, the three-point shooting was really impressive, but I got to be honest. He said, I didn't feel like I could keep you on the team because you're brand new to the school. And, and these other guys have grown up here. Like we saw them play in the rec system. They played in our middle school you know, program and now they're in high school. And most of them played last year as ninth graders. And so I, I, you're a good athlete, you're a good basketball player, but I just, you know, I just don't really know you. So I just felt more comfortable going with those guys. Man, that hurt. Like I wish you would have said, hey Gavin, you suck at basketball. Yeah. Like I'd be like, okay, cool. You know? yeah. I'll go try chess or something. But he said, hey, I just don't know you. I was so angry, so angry. I, I signed up for the rec league that year to play basketball and um, I averaged, I can't remember, I think it was like 28 points a game out of anger. Like I, I got a lot of technical fouls, did a lot more elbowing, scored a ton of points, didn't pass very much, you know. At the end of every game, our, our, our rec team won the championship, the rec team, you know, championship, like big deal, right? You know, so at the end of every single game, the opposing coach would walk up to me and say, Gavin, why are you not playing for the school? And I would say, that's a great question. You should ask Coach Flint. And I would get angrier and angrier and angrier, you know, with every single game. So fast forward uh, 20 or so years, um, my counselor would call that an internal vow. I don't know if you've ever heard this phrase, internal vow. An internal vow is a promise that we make to ourselves. That's what an internal vow is. It's a promise we make to ourselves. When I was 15, I made an internal vow. I made an internal vow that I will never allow myself to lose unfairly again. And I also made a vow that I won't face rejection again. And I made an internal vow that I will always win, no matter what. Now, I don't have to probably tell you how nice of a guy that made me for a lot of time. Played a lot of tennis after that, didn't lose much. I only played people who I thought I could beat. 
I got a lot accomplished out of type A, anger and frustration. You can get a lot done angry. You can get promoted in the marketplace by being that way. I mean, I got lots of promotions, started a business, worked in the marketplace for a long time before I started doing this. I mean, I had got married, had several kids, you know, got, got several college degrees, did a lot of great stuff that people on the outside would look at you and say, wow, look how great you are. Look at all the things you're accomplishing. And internally, I'm like, yeah, because I refuse to lose. And there's, I'm not going to do anything that I can lose at because I remember how that felt. I remember being treated unfairly. I remember, or at least feeling like I was treated unfairly. I, I remember how it felt to be rejected. I, that is never going to happen to me again. And you know what's kind of crazy is that it kind of, for the most part, didn't. And I'm not sure that's a great thing. Uh, several years ago, before I met with my counselor about this, I was uh, actually, we were in 30A and we were hanging out on the, the beach at the Gulf. And um, I'd never been paddle boarding. It looked really fun. And in the Gulf, it was a perfect place to do it, you know? So, so I was going to rent a paddle board. And my wife said, go see how much they cost. I was like, sure, you know, I'll go and check it out, whatever. Come back. She says, well, how much is it? And I said, ah, it's too much. It's not worth it. I don't think it's worth, you know, paying $40 to paddleboard today. She says, Gavin, it's $40. Like, we can, you can afford to paddleboard for $40. You've never done it. You should try it. And I was like, nah, it's too much money. Do you know the real reason I didn't paddleboard? Because I didn't want to lose at paddleboarding. Now, can you even lose at paddleboarding? I don't think so. But this internal vow was so deeply entrenched in my heart that it kept me from trying new things. It kept me from wanting to try new things because what if I failed at it? What if I lost at it? What if I wasn't good at it? What a horrible way to live. And for about 25 years, that internal vow drove almost all of my decisions. So here's what I wanna to do today. I wanna to talk about our past. Now, good news is you can't leave now that you've heard that. Um, talking about your past is a hard thing to talk about. There's good news, bad news with this. Good news is we all have one. Bad news is we all have a past. You know, why do we have to talk about our past? Well, I mean, a couple of reasons. One, well, one, I'm wearing the mic and you're not, so that's one reason. Bryant told me I could, that's another reason. But the real reason, the real reason we need to talk about our past is that if our past is affecting our present, it's not really in our past, right? If your past is affecting you today, it really isn't in your yesterday. It's still today. If the things that have happened to you in your past are still affecting you right now, it's not in your past. And here's what I think is true. And I think it's true out of personal experience. If your past is affecting your present, you can't take back your life until you deal with the past and make it your past. So we're gonna talk about that today. And it's gonna be a little hard and there's gonna be some things about it that may kind of rub you the wrong way, but that's okay, that's okay. You don't have to do any of these things. But if you do wanna take your life back, I think you might wanna consider it. Here's what we're gonna to do to kind of uh, figure out how to deal with some things in our past. We're, we're gonna look at something that Jesus did. Now, you may not be a Jesus follower. You may not be a church person if you're not and you're here. I love that. If you're watching online, you're not a church person. What an incredible thing. I love that you're doing that. I don't even know why you're here. I mean, you may be here because you're getting free lunch out of this or they promised you'd meet somebody cute. You know, I don't know. Like, but for whatever reason you're here, I'm gonna give you some permission for a minute. You can remove the Jesus part of this if you want and it's still gonna help. Like, it's still going to make your life better. If you would leave the Jesus part in it, it might dramatically help your life. 
There's this guy named John. John was a disciple of Jesus. I don't want to bore you with all these details, but Jesus had these 12 guys, followed him around everywhere he went. And they got to see up close and personal, had a front row seat for basically everything that Jesus said, everything he did, everything he taught, all the miracles, all the stuff. And they had a front row seat when he came back to life, which is why they all died as martyrs, not for what they believed, but for what they saw. This is interesting. Like just, this has nothing to do with today, but just really quick. If you're not sure about this Jesus guy, here's what you got to figure out. Why did a guy like John allow himself to be boiled alive and thrown out to an island to be living the rest of his days out? Why would he do that? Like if you were living a lie and somebody said, I'm going to kill you, you'd go, ha, kidding. You know, none of the people who spent time with Jesus did that. Every single one of them died for what they saw, not what they believed. Very different. John's one of those guys, okay? So John is a disciple. He sees everything that Jesus did, and he was with Jesus when something dramatic happened. In fact, it was so dramatic, he decided to write it down in his document called John. We named it that. Not very fancy naming, okay? But we call it John. It's really the story of the life of Jesus as John remembers seeing it. So I'm going to read you a story. If you're a church person, you're like, oh, I've heard this story before. But do me a favor. Don't skip through it because there's some really important kind of nuggets along the way we we don't want to miss. Sound good? So this is in John chapter 11. Here's how it starts. Now, a man named Lazarus may have heard this guy's name. Really famous dude. A man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This is Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick. Uh, he is the same one, this person, Mary. She's, she poured perfume on Jesus' uh, feet one day. Hold another story for a whole another sermon. So this is what's going on. Quick setup. There's this kind of family, Mary, Martha, sisters. They have a brother named Lazarus. They're all very good friends with Jesus. They're very tight, BFF, okay? They're tight. So that's kind of what's happening. And Lazarus is not doing well. Lazarus is sick, but Jesus and his disciples aren't really near Lazarus. So the sisters decide, hey, we should probably get Jesus involved. I mean, he turned water into wine. He's done some cool things. He made some mud pies and cured blindness. Like maybe we should call our buddy Jesus. He can probably help. So they decide to do that. So the sisters, they sent word to Jesus. Lord, they said, the one you love is sick, which is kind of funny because they're basically saying, hey, Jesus, you know, Lazarus, you like him a lot. He's sick. And maybe if we butter you up, remind you a little bit, maybe you'll do something about it, you know? So story continues. When he heard this, Jesus said, this is really important. Don't forget this. This sickness will not end in death. No, it is for the glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. We're going to come back to this in a minute. Jesus says, hey, guys, Lazarus is sick. Oh, that stinks. Don't worry. It's not going to end in death. And they all go, oh, okay. I don't know what that means. In this glory thing, I don't even know what that means. But whatever you say, Jesus, you know, we're, we're, we're good. We're, we're following you. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he, really quick pause, what would you do? If you're Jesus you hear your best friend is sick, what would you do? You'd probably go help, right? Like you'd go do something about it. But what did Jesus do? This is awesome. He stayed there for two more days. He did nothing. And then he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. So here's what's so crazy. Just quick pause in the story. So, so Jesus knows that Lazarus is real sick. I and mean, he's Jesus. Like he knows what's going on. And, and he gets word that this guy he loves is sick. 
and he says, don't worry, he's not gonna die. And then he stays for two more days and does nothing. I'm not gonna read you the whole story. Later today, though, you should go back and read all of John 11. It's so funny. At one point in this conversation, Jesus says, okay, it's time to go back and see Lazarus. But the last time they were near this place, they all almost got killed. So one of the disciples goes, well, we don't really wanna go back. Remember what happened? And Jesus goes, no, we're gonna go back. (laughs) And one of the guys goes, well, I guess we'll all go die with him. (laughs) Literally, that's what he said. So then they all go back. Now, during this time, guess what happens to Lazarus? He dies. Lazarus dies. So they're walking back. Mary and Martha are devastated. Their brother has died. And where is Jesus? They sent word to him. Where is this guy? He's not helping so they, they're, they're, they're kind of mourning and they're weeping and then they see Jesus and his disciples and probably a crowd because everywhere Jesus went, crowds would form and they're walking towards the house. And so as they see Jesus, they run out to greet him, but they really run out to ask him where he's been because if he'd have shown up a couple of days ago, things would have been so much different, right? So when, when, when Mary reached the place where Jesus was and she saw him, She fell at his feet and she said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When when Jesus saw her weeping, this may be the most important thing some of you hear. I, I don't know. This isn't even the point, but this may be your point today. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her were also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and he was troubled. Really quick. I don't know if you know this. Jesus is moved by the things that move you. Everything. Like Jesus loves you so much. He knows exactly what you're going through. He knows the pain that you're feeling, the struggles that you're feeling. He knows everything, which is scary in a way. He knows about spring break. I mean, it's scary, you know. (laughs) But when you need him, he knows. And he wants to help. He is moved by you. He's not some distant police officer zapping you for getting things wrong. That's not who God is. I mean, he is a loving, caring, perfect heavenly father. And he knows he's moved by the things that move you. And that's what happens to Jesus. He's moved. I mean, Jesus is God, but he's also a person. He's God in a bod, fully God, fully man. And he's moved by what he's seeing and what he's experiencing at the home. Where have you laid him? Jesus asks, come and see, Lord, they replied. And Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how much he loved him. So the story continues. They, they take Jesus. It's a whole crowd of people. They're all kind of mourning the death of Lazarus. Lazarus is well known, so beloved. And they go to the tomb. And, and, and if you, you know, we don't bury people this way now, but there was this big cave basically and they would roll a rock in front of the cave and bury people in the cave. And so they go to this and, and, and Jesus says, this is where he is. And they go, yeah. And then of course they're all weeping. They're all mourning, you know, and Jesus is too. And then he says to them, he goes, hey, I want you to roll the stone away. And they, they all pause for a minute and they look at him. And in, in, in other translations of the Bible, uh, the King James translation, it says, but Lord, the body stinketh. I mean, they don't want to roll the stone away. He, he didn't die an hour ago. He's been in there for a minute, a hot minute, you know. He's been in there. And Jesus goes, it's okay. Roll, roll the stone away. And then Jesus does this incredible thing. He prays. 
This is a beautiful thing. You got to read the whole thing. He, he prays a prayer. He basically says, hey, God, it's me. What's up? Um, you know what you're going to do. I know what you're going to do. And you know what I'm about to ask you to do. But I'm going to pray this prayer so everybody knows it's you doing it and through me. And then they're going to glorify you because of what you're about to do. That's the prayer. And then Jesus, he leans into the tomb and he says, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out and his hands and feet were wrapped with strips of linen and cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. It's incredible, an incredible story. Lazarus is a pretty big deal in the Bible because if you are dead and brought back to life, you become famous. Like he goes viral, like in the best sort of way, you know? This is a big deal. In fact, listen, this is one of the reasons Jesus is eventually arrested and crucified. When he did this, the, the people who were in charge of the religious stuff, the Pharisees, this really made him mad because it was hard to deny that he might actually be the Messiah if he's bringing people back to life. Like other people were doing card tricks, that's cool. He's bringing people back to life. Like this might be bigger than we thought. And we don't want him to be the Messiah because if he is, it means we are gonna lose all of our power and our wealth and our influence. So we're gonna just somehow make sure we get rid of this guy. This is why he's crucified because of things like this. Now, just for a second, I grew up in the church. Maybe you did too. I became a Christian when I was seven years old. I mean, I have heard this story maybe a thousand times. I don't know. And every time I hear the story, we focus on the end of the story and for good reason. Jesus brought Lazarus back to life. That's a big deal. It was foreshadowing what he was gonna do when he walks out of the tomb. It's foreshadowing what we are gonna do spiritually when we put our faith in Jesus. I mean, it's a big deal that this happened. But all along the way, there are other things that happen. And this is true of all the stories in the Bible. And sometimes we get so focused on the main point, we might miss some other points. And there's another point in the story that I think we often miss. I know I did for most of my life. And it's the shortest verse in the Bible, verse 35, Jesus wept. Jesus wept. When I was a kid growing up in school, um, like when I would go to Sunday school or vacation Bible school, we have to memorize verses. This is my go-to. Shortest verse in the Bible, two words, Jesus wept. But when it comes to your past, when it comes to the things that we're dealing with, those two words might just be the most important part of this story. What, what Jesus allowed himself to experience is this word that we don't like. It's the word grief. But what Jesus allowed himself to experience was grief. Now, we don't like grief. Grief is a difficult thing to deal with. Grief is something that makes us feel bad. Grief is something that makes us feel sad. Grief isn't something that we long to experience. But, but Jesus, on purpose, chose to embrace and experience grief. It's a big deal. Jesus, think about this. Jesus allowed himself to feel the pain and the sadness of grief, of loss. He, he allowed himself to feel the mourning, to feel the sadness. He, he allowed himself to feel the very thing that we like to run away as far as we can from. Now think about this for a minute. Why in the world would Jesus do that? I mean, remember the whole story? I mean, just a few days later, he's hanging out, right? Making s'mores with his disciples. 
He gets word that Jesus is sick, and what does he say? He says, don't worry, it's not going to end in death. Like, Jesus knew what he was going to do. Like, he knew that he was going to bring Lazarus back to life. He knew the whole thing. Yet, he allowed himself to experience the pain and the sadness of grief, of loss. Why in the world would he do that? It's a really important question for us to answer. Because if we can figure out why he did it, it might help us with some of the things that we are experiencing. It might even help us with some of the things we have experienced. I'm not 100% sure, but I think I know why Jesus chose to experience the grief. And I think the reason is that Jesus understood that grief paves the way to peace. Grief, this is a big deal. Grief is what paves the way to peace. When we experience difficulties, deaths, losses, it's only through grief that we are able to eventually experience peace. Now, here's what I want to do for a minute. I want to bring that story, that idea, kind of into our worlds for a minute. I'm going to think about the things that we might need to consider grieving, the things that we might need to lean into some of that uncomfortable sadness, that uncomfortable pain. See, here's what we don't often recognize. Every single loss that we experience is a death. Every single loss is a death. Now, just for a minute, think about this, right? Like you knew when your grandma died when you were a kid and you looked around and everybody is crying and you thought, oh, okay, this is, this is what we do. We grieve death. And that's true. And we should do that. Some of you might not have done that well. You may talk about that in a minute. But we kind of understand that somewhat intuitively. What we don't understand is that every single loss is a death. Every loss, the, the loss of a dream, the loss of a relationship, the loss of a job, of a career, of a home, of an opportunity, the loss of a basketball team, they are all losses. Think about how important this is to understand even coming off of 2020. How much people, how much you lost last year. I mean, how, don't raise your hand. How many of you lost things in 2020? You lost connection. You maybe lost a job, relationships. And some of the things don't seem important, but they're important if it's a loss. Some, some of your kids lost dance recitals. Some of your kids lost graduation. My oldest son graduated in 2020. There was no prom, there was no graduation, there was no hat, there was none of that. Just a loss. My, my two youngest kids go to summer camp every year, but not last year. It's their favorite thing they do in the summer. They didn't get to go. It's a loss. Those losses matter because losses matter. And I'll tell you why. Because every loss is a death, and what do we do when something dies? We bury it, right? Every loss is a death, and every death gets buried. Now, this is the counseling part of the conversation, okay? When, when something is lost, we have an opportunity. We really have a choice. We either can grieve what's been lost, or we can just move on. Now, don't raise your hand, but what do we typically do, you know? We don't, we don't want to grieve. We don't want to deal with that. And by the way, no one died. It was just summer camp. No, no one died. It was just a basketball team. You just got cut. Not a big deal. Like, no, no, no one died. It was just a job, but I'll get another job. I mean, I'll figure it out. 
But every loss is a death and every death gets buried. So here's what that means. This is so important. Ungrieved losses still get buried. But ungrieved losses get buried alive. And if you've ever seen The Walking Dead or a horror movie, anything that you bury that comes back to life is way angrier. It's way meaner. It's way more difficult to deal with. That's what an ungrieved loss is. When you lose something and you don't grieve it, you still bury it. But when you bury it, it isn't dead. And it doesn't get to rest in peace because ungrieved losses are buried alive and they haunt your present. They don't stay in your past. Now, for the real difficult part of the morning, welcome to church, um, how many things have you lost that you just didn't grieve? I mean, we don't have time to do this right now, but I think a great exercise for you today would be to go home, sit somewhere quiet today, and make a list of things that you've lost. And, and not just in the last few weeks, like a list of all the things that you've lost. And, and, and let me tell you what I think you're all gonna find. Because I know this is true of me, and I think it's true of you too. I think you're gonna find a lot of things were lost and weren't grieved. And it wasn't because you didn't want to, it was because you didn't know you were supposed to. When I was 15, and I tried out for the basketball team, and I got cut, that was a loss. But guess what I did? I just buried it dead. I mean, I, I buried it alive. You know why? Because I didn't know. I didn't know I was supposed to grieve that. No, no one told me, hey, Gavin, this is a loss. We should grieve this loss. We should feel the pain. We should sit in the sadness. And by the way, I'm gonna sit with you in it and grieve with you so that you can move past it because grief is what paves the path to peace. I'm gonna do that with you. Nobody said that to me. You know what my friend said to me? Yeah, that's a raw deal. That stinks. You should play rec ball and dominate which is what I did. And for 25 years, I lived out of that internal vow only because I didn't grieve it. I didn't know I was supposed to. I bet you didn't know that either. I bet you have relationships in your life that were lost. You need to grieve those. You probably have jobs or careers, investments, retirements, houses. You should grieve those things. And the temptation that you have, oh my gosh, is to think, yeah, but I'm 40-something now, mid-40s. I was 15, it was basketball. I mean, it ain't a big deal. And, and in a way, you're kind of right. I mean, if you got cut from the basketball team at 45 and didn't know what to do with it, that is a counseling conversation. You know, we should, we should go a little deeper into therapy. But, but when you were 15, it was everything. Don't minimize those losses because they're, they mattered. And if it mattered and it was lost and you don't grieve it, you're going to bury it. Yeah. It's not going to rest in peace. It's going to come back and haunt you the rest of your life. And you're never going to be able to take your life back because you're going to be fighting the ghost of your past. See, only losses that are grieved can actually rest in peace. Only losses that are grieved can actually rest in peace. And <laughs> you can't take back your life. You cannot take back your life if you refuse to grieve the losses from your past. Yeah. You just can't. You can't take back your life. So a couple of things to think about. And then we're actually gonna sing a song and we're gonna give you a chance to process this a little bit and just consider what you should do with it. 
couple things to think about. One, what are the losses that you did not grieve? What are the things in your past? And maybe they don't seem like they were a big deal to you now, but they were a big deal when it happened. What are those things? What are those internal vows that you've made? What are the, what are the losses that you just didn't grieve? And, and it's not your fault. Don't feel bad. This isn't like, oh, you should be guilty or ashamed. None of that. You didn't know. No one taught you that. Your mom and dad didn't know that. Your teacher didn't know that. You, you were seven. You weren't going to counseling. No one knew this. But it was a loss. And it hurt. But instead of grieving it, you just moved past it. You thought. <laughs> but you really didn't because it's still in your present. There's a part of you that's still being affected by that. What are those things? That's the first thing I think you should do. Here's the last thing. I think you really need to consider what's happening right now. And when you bump into a loss, don't move past it. Pause and grieve. Allow yourself, and you don't want to, but allow yourself to feel the pain. Feel the sadness. Don't move past it. The only way for your past to be your past is if you can bury it dead. And the only way you can do that is if you grieve loss. And I am convinced of one thing for sure. We have no chance to take our life back if the things that are in our past are still haunting us in our present. So, fun message. I also think one of the most important things you'll ever do. Can I pray for you before we sing together? Heavenly Father, thank you so much for, I mean, thank you for showing us that grief matters and that it's okay to do that and that it's healthy to do that. God, I, I know that sometimes we hear stuff from you and it's so uplifting and it's so exciting. And there's other things that we're like, dang, why did I come to church? And this can be one of those. Because our temptation is not to want to feel pain because we're human. We know that it hurts. Why do we want to intentionally allow ourselves to feel things that hurt? But God, I pray that you give us the wisdom to know what to do with that. And even more, I pray you give us the courage to do it. Knowing that on the other side of that grief is peace and freedom. And there's no way to get there without going through that pain and experiencing that sadness. Jesus, thank you for displaying that, even though you didn't have to. Thank you for putting that on display and feeling it so that we know that we can too. We love you, Jesus. We pray all of this in your name. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this message or have been impacted by Centerpoint Church in any way, would you consider helping us out in one of two ways? First, if you would just spread the word, share this message with your friends, family. Maybe you could go rate and review our podcast on your favorite podcast catcher, but this helps us so much more than you know. And secondly, this ministry is supported by people like you through their financial generosity. And so if you've been impacted by any of these messages, would you consider giving to support the mission and vision of Centerpoint to see people reach with the radical grace of Jesus? You can give today on our website at centerpointfl.org. And again, that's centerpointfl.org.